from God. Hallelujah. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 4. The Gospel of John, chapter 4, and when you got it, say so. And as we're doing that, we can dismiss our children to Kids Dome. Glory to God. I'm still getting used to that transition. Praise the name of Jesus. The Gospel of John, chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. All right. And where the Lord says, it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he did, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to drink water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God. And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Father, we thank you so much for your great grace. We thank you because you really are the thirst quencher, Lord. We thank you because you really do satisfy our souls as no one else can. And we come before you today as your sons, as your daughters, as those who do thirst for you, as those who do hunger for you, God. And as we sang the song, Lord, it's for me, Heavenly Father, and I know for many of us, it's not just words that come out of our mouth that we want more, God, but we really, really want more of you. We thirst for your righteousness, God. We thirst for your presence. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll speak to us in these next few moments, that you would use me, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. And we just ask you, Lord God, to glorify yourself, glorify your name in us. We pray all of these things in the good name of Jesus. Someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We serve a good God, don't we? All right. If you need an outline, raise your hand really quickly. If you don't have an outline, really important to us that everyone has an outline. I try to remind you weekly these these outlines are important for a couple of reasons. The first reason is because you can follow along with me in the introduction of the message. And then the second thing that you can do as well is you can take notes. I think taking notes is important for us. Um, For some of us, we have really great memories and we can recite stuff back and we can, you know, we don't forget anything. For others of us, and that would be the majority of us, we're not that way and we really need to write down and that way we can remember stuff. And you know what happens? Even if you remember and you have a great memory, Sometimes you need to go back and refer to things that you heard a long time ago, and that way you can be refreshed, right? And you'll be surprised at some of the stuff that you've heard and that you've written down. So it's important to take notes. The second reason why these outlines are important is because we gather together weekly in our Connect Life groups, and we get together in different homes, we eat meals together, and then we discuss the sermons. And the questions that are in the outline, That is, those are the questions that we go over. So if you go ahead and take advantage of the time now, then you can also answer the questions. And the beauty of this is, as well, is that we also record these messages. And so you have the opportunity to hear them again before you get together with your Connect, and you can go over your notes and you can read and you can rehear the message so that way you can hear my amazing voice twice in one week. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
It is so that way you can be edified and you can catch stuff because I do talk fast. Amen, somebody? And, and sometimes you're not able to write quickly enough, as our sister Anna will attest to. And um, it's good to have the ability to pause me, right? And be like, hold up, hold up, pause for a moment. And then go back and, you know, get the right quotes and stuff like that. So anyway, very important that you have the outlines there. And so we are continuing on in our series, The Real Jesus. And today we are going to talk about a, a message that I've entitled, The Thirst Quencher. And so Jesus' ministry, as we see here in the scriptures, you can follow along in your outline here. Jesus' ministry continues to grow and gain popularity in order to fulfill his ultimate purpose, which is crucifixion. In God's timing, we see him moving from one location to the next and in each place, giving us clear revelation of who he is. The reason why this is so important for us to realize is because when you look at Jesus' ministry, if he were to have made one place the place where he was just going to hang out, he would have been crucified a lot earlier. You know why? Because they would have made him king a lot earlier. That's what would happen. Everywhere Jesus went, he would tell people, you see in the scriptures, he would do miracles and he would tell them, don't tell them that I did this. Do you think anyone ever listened to Jesus? No, they were always telling everyone, like, Jesus healed me. And so Jesus would gain popularity. And then what happens here, we see in the scripture, it says here, it says, therefore, when the Lord knew in verse 1 that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And so the point of this is that we already saw earlier in chapter 3 that, you know, the enemy was trying to bring some kind of tension between John the Baptist ministry and Jesus' ministry. And again, that's just continuing to happen here. But Jesus knows better. And so he's moving on so he can continue to show who he is to other people. And so what we see here is we see the, revela the revelation of Jesus as we continue reading in chapter 4. We see the revelation of Jesus as Messiah to a social outcast who was part of a group of people, Samaritans, who were rejected as being Jewish. The reason for this to be there is because John points to the, to the Lord's compassion and concern for mankind. And so here we find Jesus going to a different group of people. He's not just talking to Jews alone, but he's talking to different people here. And the reason why this is important for us is because it shows us the heart of God is not just for one group of people, but God wants to speak to all mankind. God cares about all. The Bible says, John 3, 16, we read that. We went through there that for God so loved the world. God didn't just love one group of people. He didn't just love one part of the world. He loves all. And so he wants all to be able to hear the beauty and the power of this glorious gospel message. And so the reason where we get the title Thirst Quencher is obviously because of the things that you heard me reading and what Jesus communicates. But hear this, and this is the last line in your outline here. Every heart, not some hearts, Every heart contains a God-induced thirst for which the only adequate quenching is the water of life provided by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Every heart contains a God-induced thirst for which the only adequate quenching is the water of life provided by Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We see this woman who comes to this well and she shows us some things even about ourselves and a lot of times we don't realize what it is but there's an aching in our souls. And I don't know about you but, and we'll ask the question just by a show of hands, has anybody in here been like extremely thirsty? Raise your hand real quick. Like thirsty to where like your tongue was sticking to the roof of your mouth thirsty. Like thirsty where nothing could satisfy that thirst except, I mean really you, you know, you may love soda, you may love this or that but really water is what did it, right? Like that was the only thing that could satisfy that thirst that was there. And what you have to realize is that whether you, whether you recognize it or not, all of us, everyone in this place, no matter how good your life is, no matter how many accolades you have, no matter how many accomplishments you've achieved, all of us have what? All of us have a, a, a thirst within our soul. And it's not a thirst that's there by coincidence. God put it there. Hello. God placed this thirst within our soul. And I'll say this here. When God finds what he is seeking in us, this is the big idea. If you write anything down in this whole time that I'm talking, write this down. I'm going to repeat it a couple times, and I'm not going to say it slow, but I will repeat it so you can catch it. But when God finds what he is seeking in us, we find satisfaction for our souls in him. Did you hear me? When God finds what he is seeking in us, we find satisfaction for our souls in him. I'll say it one more time and hopefully you get it. When God finds what he is seeking in us, we find satisfaction for our souls in him. When he finds, all right, glory to God. When he finds in us what he's seeking, 
And we're going to get to the question of what God is seeking in a moment as we continue to read throughout this passage of Scripture. But here's the thing. The thirst that we have inside of our soul. See, what we try to do in our lives is that we try to find the, the filling of that thirst in so many other things, right? We'll try to find it in, in relationships sometimes that we have, that we experience some, some level of satisfaction. Like when I'm, with, when I'm together with my wife, when I'm together with my children, there's a certain level of satisfaction. When I'm hanging out with you, you know, in different scenarios, there's a certain level level of satisfaction in my soul, right? I enjoy those type of things. For some of us, I mean, some of you are really like introverted, right? So you find real satisfaction when you're all by yourself. Straight up, really. I mean, there's, there's some people that you don't feel satisfied when you're in a group of people because you feel really uncomfortable. That's like, that doesn't feel good for me, right? But when you're by yourself and if you like to read with a good book or, you know, you just like to veg out and watch TV, you just feel like replenished and renewed and you feel amazing. And you don't understand these other crazy folk that want to be around people all the time. And, you know, anyway. I'm kind of in the middle, um, you know, I'm not totally introverted, but I'm not totally extroverted, and so ultimately, I, I find satisfaction in both, but here's the thing, we try to find satisfaction, sometimes we try to find satisfaction in work, right, accomplishments, promotion, but the money we make, we try to find satisfaction, you know, when I, whenever, and it's not very often, y'all pray for me, but whenever I wash my car, there is some satisfaction at the end, right? Unless the pollen count is high, because then it's just like, I hate, I'm a glory to God. I'm, I'm like so mad because I was so satisfied, and 10 minutes later, I walk outside, I'm like, what in the devil? Like, what on earth just happened to my car, right? Like, seriously, there's like this thick film that's just, it looks so good. But anyway, there's a level of satisfaction, right? When we do stuff, you know, if you're the type of person that likes to cook, right? You're, there's, a, there, there's just a certain level of satisfaction. If you're like a hospitable type person, there's a certain level of satisfaction that you get when you can just be hospitable. That's just who you are. But can I tell you something? Everything that I just mentioned now, why none of those things are bad, none of those things will fill the thirst that God has placed inside of your soul. They'll never do it. They will never fill that thirst. They will never quench that thirst that is there. There is only one who can quench that thirst, and that is who? That is God himself. He is the only one who can quench that thirst. And so what we do is we recognize that and then we walk in this relationship with him. So let's look at what the scriptures say to us and what we learn from this woman here. The first thing, repeat this after me, say, Jesus needed to meet the deepest need of Samaria. Jesus needed to meet the deepest need of Samaria. The first thing that I want you to get here is that in verse 4, it says something that stands out for us. And, here's, and here, here's what I want you to realize. It says that Jesus in verse 3, it says, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And verse 4 says, but he needed to go through Samaria. And it's almost abrupt the way that it goes in there. It's not that it doesn't fit, but it's almost, it, it, it's, it's, it's weird the way that it's just placed there that he needed to go there. It didn't say, notice what the text says. The text says he needed, it doesn't say they needed right? The reason why this is important is because it wasn't a need that all of the group had. It was a group that was, it was a need that was specific to Jesus. And so Jesus needed to meet the, the deepest need of Samaria. What he, what he needed to do is he needed to go that route. Now look, if you read your, if you, if you read any kind of commentaries on the gospel of John and this portion of scripture, you'll find that there were many routes there were many ways to get from one place to the next. There was, there was many routes for, that, for, for Jesus to get from Judea to Galilee. He didn't have to go that route. And here's, and here's the, 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 the fact is that the reason why most of the time Jewish, Jews did not go through Samaria was because of what? Because those were outcast people. Because they didn't, they, they, they didn't want to deal with them. They didn't want to have, but whenever they were going up to the feast and things like that, because it was a shorter distance, they would go directly through Samaria. But in this particular case, Jesus didn't have to go somewhere because he was trying to get somewhere quicker. Notice he stops in Samaria. And see, what we're left to do is think about why is it that Jesus needed to go through this city? And so Jesus could have taken many routes to get there, yet John makes an emphatic point that he, not they, needed to go through Samaria. As stated earlier, I said this in the, in, in the beginning there in the second paragraph, Jesus meets a woman who was an outcast in her society for obvious reasons. And we're going to get there and we're going to see why she was an outcast. But just to give you a little spoiler alert here, she was an outcast because she had like five husbands and the one she had now wasn't her husband. Hello. In our terminology, she was a hoochie. 
right? Our day and age, she was in a floozy. I don't know what, what, what word you want to put there. I'll leave those two. You can go wherever you want to go with that. But the point is, she wasn't a respectable woman, right? And so Jesus goes and has this encounter with this woman intentionally. We are talking about God the Son who is on God's divine timeline and who is on assignment from God the Father and he is being led clearly and he comes to this point and he is really thirsty and he, and he makes this point to have this conversation with this woman and why does he have this conversation with her? Here, let me, let, let, let me, give, you, let me give you one of my conclusions as to why he chose this one for the conversation. Because if Jesus would have had a conversation with someone else at that well, they would have never experienced the same deliverance as she did. If Jesus would have had the conversation with someone else who really didn't recognize their condition, guess what? She would have never got delivered. The, the message would have never gotten across. She would have never asked the questions that she had. You see, because it's when I have certain needs that I'll ask certain questions. Are you here? See, but when I don't have needs, I'm not going to ask those questions. You know, like if you, you know, I'm just saying, if you've never been broke, you're never thinking about what are we going to eat because there's always something there to eat. Hello. But when you are broke, you're thinking about, okay, what can we do to make this work? I'm just saying, right? Like, I mean, some of y'all, you know, grew up. See, for me, I didn't know that I was broke when I was growing up. I'm just saying. So, like, rice and eggs, I thought that that was like gourmet meals. I didn't realize that that was for broke folk. I'm just saying, right? <laughs> like, today, I love that. Like, that's like one of my favorite after-church meals. Why? Because Sunday, we was broke, y'all. So, you know what happened? We were coming home, and it, we, we were excited about that rice, you know, with, with, with eggs, and it was good to go. The point is, some people are like, rice and eggs, what on earth is that? Well, because you didn't have to think about that stuff, right? You never, you didn't have those issues, so you didn't think certain ways. You're not worried about paying the light bill because you got money in the bank. You see what I'm saying? And so the same thing happens with this woman at the well. Jesus chooses to meet her. Notice when Jesus meets her, what time is it? Middle of the day. Nobody, listen to me, nobody goes out to draw water from a well at 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Are you hearing me? You know why? Because that, it is hot, glory to God, right? We went to Mexico on a missions trip, and they came out, and it was, it, and look, we tried to, we tried to um, do that. that. This is pretty amazing. I'm going to tell you right now. Anybody who can draw water from a well with a bucket, they're off the chain. I'm just saying right now, because I thought that I could do that, right? I'm over here thinking that I'm pulling something, right? I, like, threw the bucket in there, and I'm, like, pulling this thing up, and the bucket was empty, and I was worn out. Are you hearing me? I'm like, man, what on earth? If I was thirsty, I would die right here, right? And so ultimately, but the girl came out, the, you know, the woman who came out to that well, I, I was having a vivid picture. She's walking out here with two buckets, and she threw that water in. She went, I was like, whoa, and quick, dumped the water, and she's walking back, bringing her water to her family so they can bathe and eat and all that kind of stuff. The point is, she didn't do that at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. She did that like around 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. She did it later in the evening. And so typically the time that people would come out to draw water was in the morning time or in the evening time, not at the peak heat of the day. And so the reason why this woman does that is because there are some issues with her. See, here's, here's what I want you to get. It is not until we realize our great need for Jesus that we will respond humbly to his offer of salvation. As you read the scripture, some of you got excited because Jesus in verse 10, he says, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink. You will have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so what does she do? Again, she asked the question like, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? So notice the, re the revelation that this woman gets of Jesus is progressive. The first thing that she knows about him is what? That he's Jewish. That's the first revelation that she gets. She's like, well, you know, what are you doing asking me a Samaritan? Jews don't have any dealings, right? And so she knew that he was Jewish. She had that understanding. Now the next revelation is that this guy is greater than Jacob. Hello. This guy is greater than our forefather here. And then verse 13, it says, And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain springing up into everlasting water. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. 
And so what we find is that Jesus meets this woman. He is this gift from God that he is offering her. Jesus is the source of our soul's satisfaction. And notice this. Jesus chose this encounter at this location with this woman to bring light to the people that that, that were rejected for being half Jews, half Gentile, because they couldn't prove their lineage. That was the problem with the Samaritans. They couldn't prove their lineage. And so the Jews, you know, they were like, well, you all can't prove where you're from. You're not part of our, our family. And so they kicked them out, and they, 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 they rejected them. And so what happened was the Samaritans decide, and you'll see this woman, she has some real religious education. The Samaritans decide that this place, Mount Gerizim, is going to be the place where they're going to worship. And Jews are like, no, nah, I mean, you're supposed to come to the temple. You're supposed to come to Jerusalem to worship. But they decided they weren't going to do that. And so here's, here's why we got to look at Jesus' life and look at our life and say, what, 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 what should I take away from this first thing that we're looking at here? is that each of us need to recognize our life as a divine assignment. There's nothing that we're doing that we should see as coincidental. You don't work where you work coincidentally. You don't go to school where you go to school coincidentally. You don't live where you live coincidentally. You are not connected to the people that you're connected with coincidentally. Hello? We need to recognize our lives as being a light that is going to do what? It's going to bring light to those who are lost. It's going to bring hope to those who are hopeless. We need to recognize ourselves as being those who are bringing life to those who are dead. Because just like Jesus, there are some things that we need to do in our life. And it's not about us. It's about us doing what? It's about bringing to others who they need, and that is Jesus. We need to see ourselves from that perspective and recognize this. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our satisfaction comes from our Savior dealing with our sin. Our satisfaction comes from our Savior dealing with our sin. Now, I want to talk for a moment before we deal with the sin issue here, is that when Jesus talks about the rivers of living water that are going to flow, this fountain of living water, you got to remember the, the reason why he uses this metaphor in this picture is because in the book of Jeremiah, God rebukes the children of Israel for doing what? He rebukes them for rejecting him. The, the, this, this, this spring of living water. They had rejected him. And so Jesus is saying to her, listen, I'm here to offer you what Israel has been rejecting, what everyone has been rejecting. They want to build their own, their, their own wells with broken cisterns. They, 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 they don't want the living water that God is offering them. And so this woman, she says what? She responds to him. She says, hey, you know what? I want that water. But then look what Jesus does in verse 16 here. Verse 16, he says, go call your husband and come here. How do we go from talking about a drink of water to my husband? What's up with that? I want a drink of water. He, I don't, want, he don't need a drink of water. I'm out here getting this water from this well, right? Forget him. But, and then so she goes on, and she, then the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you, well, you, you have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. And that you spoke truly. Hello. In other words... You're a hoochie. I don't know if Jesus would have used those words. I'm just saying, right? He was like, you spoke the truth for real, right? I mean, you, you've, you've had five, and, and I mean, Jesus was like reading her mail. And she, I mean, that, that's got to be a horrible scenario, right? Like, whoa, that, that, that went deep quick, glory to God. And so she, the woman says to him, I love this. I love her response to him. She doesn't get defensive, and she doesn't get all upset Her response to Jesus is this. The woman said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) This woman humbled herself and she was like, sir, you got it right. You hit it on the nose. I am a hoochie. Hello. All right. I'm just saying she was like, call me out. I'm just, I am what I am. You just, you, you got this right. And so he, she, she communicates this to Jesus. And, but then, but then look at the conversation where it goes, right? So Talking about getting a drink of water, and then now we talk about the husband situation. That's an issue. But look where she goes. Next verse, verse 20. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Now look at this. She flipped the, she flipped the script on Jesus too because she's talking about her husband, and she's like, hold on a second, let's talk about worship. Let's, let, let, let's, let's change the situation. Now she wants to talk about how much religious knowledge she has. Are you with me here? You see, this is, this is symbolic, right? This is the epitome of other people that we know in our lives that they grew up in church. Hello. 
that they know what the Bible says, that they already know all that stuff, that they don't seem to need it anymore. But hold on a second. They have a sin issue that is hindering them from experiencing what they learned and what they knew. And they're talking about all the religious knowledge that they have. And so what we need to do is we need to recognize it doesn't matter how much Bible knowledge you have. The issue is, has Jesus dealt with your sin? Has Jesus dealt with your life? Has Jesus dealt with your heart? Have you allowed Jesus to deal with the depth of your soul? And so she asked Jesus this question about worship, and then Jesus gives her the response. And says, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship for salvation is of the, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Remember what I said earlier about when God finds what he's seeking in us, we find our soul satisfaction in him. The Father is seeking. The Bible doesn't say a lot of times that God is seeking anything. Are you hearing me? So when the Bible says that God is seeking something, it's important that we pay attention. It's important that we open our ears, that we open our heart, that we underline, that we highlight, at minimum, that we make a mental note and say, hold on a second, God is seeking something. See, and the question for me, if God is seeking something, has he found that something in me? Hello. Has he found what he's seeking in me? And verse 24 says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Then the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. This woman got some serious biblical knowledge here. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So we see this woman, right? She's having this conversation, and we're talking about satisfaction of our soul. We're talking about thirst quenching. In the first part of the conversation, Jesus offers her living water. She responds, acknowledging she's thirsty. Again, I repeat this. All men sitting in this room, in this world, on this planet, all men have a thirst in their soul, just like the woman at the well. We seek satisfaction in temporary sources that will leave us thirsty. See, what this woman did all the time was the reason why she came at 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon to go draw water is because no one else was going to be there. She wasn't going to have to deal with any of the other women who were looking at her and, you know, making her feel bad or feel worse about her sin. So instead of repenting of her sin, instead of doing something about it, instead what she did was she tried to fix herself up. She tried to fix her schedule. So you know what? I'm going to come here at 12 o'clock. I'm not going to deal with any of these other women. I'm not going to deal with any of these other people. But the thing that I love about this lady is that she has this, this, this knowledge of things that, you know, you would think, man, someone living like that, how could she have this kind of knowledge? Because Jesus still has to deal with the sin in our hearts. You see, this is why the gospel becomes so important to our lives. This is the reason why we go through this weekly. It is because it is important for us to realize that God is a holy God. He is a loving, gracious God, and that we are born into sin, and that we sin not just because we were born into sin, but because we choose to sin, because we rebel against God, because we want to live our own way and live our own lives. And the reality is what sin does is sin separates us from the love of God. Sin separates us from the care of God. Sin separates us from the purposes of God in our lives. And what it does is it destines us to an eternity separated from God in hell, eternally judged and condemned. That's what sin does. But the beauty of this is, is that Jesus doesn't want us to live under the condemnation of sin. Jesus wants us to confess our sin. Jesus wants us to recognize our sin. Jesus wants us to acknowledge that we are sinful. The same way that this woman said, I perceive that you're a prophet, is the same way that we need to recognize, yes, I am a sinner that is on my way to hell, separated from him. And then what I do is I put my trust in this amazing sacrifice that God makes because he doesn't want to leave me bound in sin. He doesn't want to leave me on my way to hell, but he dies in my place. See, the beauty of this gospel message is that he dies the most brutal and horrible death, undeserving, but he dies in my place. He dies in your place so that way you and I can have this thing called eternal life. 
And not just so we can have eternal life after we breathe our last breath, but that from the moment that I acknowledge my sin and I trust Jesus as the only source of salvation and deliverance, that I begin to experience a new life. That's the beauty of the gospel. That I am no longer known as this woman at the well with five husbands. I'm no longer known as a hoochie, hello, right? I'm no longer known as this person that was like that, but I am now known as what? I'm known as a child of the king. I have a new name. I have a new identity, and I'm now solid, and I'm firm in Christ. See, that is the beauty of this, of, of this gospel message. But here's the thing, church. We will never experience, you will never experience, for those of you that may not know Jesus in this place, you will never experience soul satisfaction that God wants you to experience if you don't deal with your sin. And let me say this. When I look at this woman, it looks to me like she was probably raised in church. It looks to me like she had some really good knowledge of the scriptures. Listen, knowledge of Scripture doesn't address sin. Are you here? Acknowledgement of sin addresses sin. Recognizing sin. And so there's some people, you know what, they've been in church for a long time. They've got a bunch of Bible knowledge, and yet you are still living in bondage to sin. You are still living under the same condemnation of sin. You are still sinning the same way that you've always, that you've always done it, and you think that that's just part of who you are. That is not part of who you are. Hello. Jesus came to give you a new identity, to give you new life. He wasn't talking about half-life. Hello. He's talking about new life, and that new life comes through us, what? Allowing him to deal with our sin. Jesus turns his conversation, and he deals with this woman's sin. And here's what I want you to understand is this, is the Father is seeking worshipers. And here's, here's what we got to get, is that all men worship something. Hello. The, the, the question is never, do I worship? The question is always, what do I worship? See, some of us, we worship our kids. Some of us worship our comforts. Some of us worship our cars. Some of us worship our clothes. Some of us worship our reputation. Some of us, we worship so many different things. Some of us worship our bodies. And I mean, some of us worship different, we, we all worship different things. Here's the, that, that, so the question is never what are we or, or do we worship? The question is always what are we worshiping? What are we worshiping? Because at the end of the day, we worship things, and we, whether we realize it or not, we worship them because we want to find satisfaction in them. You see, we worship our kids, and what I mean by worship them is that our life revolves around them. Are you here? It is all about them. That is, that, that is worship of your children. I'm just letting you know this right now. I know that, that you know, we're, and let me say this to balance the statement out. It doesn't mean that your life doesn't change when you have kids. Amen, somebody? Your life better change when you have kids because they don't change. It's like your life not changing when you get married, right? I'm just saying. Like some guys, and I'll just use the guys. I, you know, I'll talk to the men for a moment. Some of us, we get married, and we just think that I'm going to just keep living my, my, my life like I always was, but I got someone to come home to at night to do the things that I couldn't do before. Be, and anyway. Hello. Y'all hearing me, right? Think, well, hey, man, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I can't have sex outside of marriage, and so I get married. Yo, sex is good to go, but I'm going to keep living my life. Hold on a second. Time out. <laughs> this, was, this wasn't just a license to do that thing that you love to do. <laughs> this is now a commitment that you make and your life changes. But here's the thing. You can love your wife without worshiping your wife. Just like you can love your children without worshiping your children. You can enjoy your job. You can even love your job. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I would, I would assume it would be a good thing for you to at least like your job. Hello. Right? I feel bad for people that do stuff that they hate, but ultimately, right, you know, you could come to a place that you like, you enjoy what you're doing. It doesn't mean that you have to be a workaholic and worship your job. See, because ultimately what happens is if I'm worshiping my children, then I am depending on their progress to make me feel satisfaction. Are you hearing me? And then what happens is when my kids don't make it to the things or the way that I think they should, all of a sudden my level of satisfaction lowers because what? Their level of production lowered. It's the same thing with my wife. It's the same thing with your husband, right? Same scenario. When they, right, when they're not performing at the level that you want, then all of a sudden your level of satisfaction lowers. You know how you can tell what you're worshiping a lot of times? Watch the level of satisfaction in your heart. It's important for us to consider these things because we all worship something, and the Father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. 
You see, this woman, she had it all together mentally, right? She knew where the place of worship was. She knew what the prophecies were. She knew what the scriptures said. The problem was that God has never, he has never been interested. Understand this. From the Old Testament to the New, this isn't something that is, that is new revelation. From the Old Testament to the New, God has not only been concerned with external actions in worship, he's been concerned with the heart of worship. He's been concerned that I'm not just doing things externally, ritually correct. God's not concerned with just that. God wants me to worship him in truth. He wants me to worship him according to his word, according to his standards, but he wants me to worship in spirit. Meaning that he wants me to worship from the abundance of my heart. He wants me to worship from the depth of my soul. He wants me to worship him the way that he deserves to be worshipped. And above everything else, he wants to be the center of all of your worship. He doesn't want to share your worship with anyone else. He wants you to be the, he wants himself to be the center of all of your worship. And here's the beauty of this is that salvation allows us to worship God in spirit and in truth. The outflow of sincere biblical worship is a soul that is satisfied in the true source of life. See, here's the thing. When I'm a true worshiper of God, it's not to say things in life don't affect me negatively. It's not to say letdowns in life don't hurt my heart. What it means is that those things don't define me. Are you hearing me? It means that those things don't change, you know, the way that I think about life. Because you know what? My life is not in those things. My life is sustained by God himself. See, and when I begin to worship God, I begin to experience satisfaction that is deeper than anything else this world has to offer. I begin to experience satisfaction. See, he's the thirst quencher. See, no one else can, can, can quench that thirst that is within my soul. No one else can give me the joy that he gives me. Nobody else can give me the peace that he gives me. But you know where that's found? That is only found when I find myself in his presence, worshiping him and honoring him. But here's what I want you to know. It's not just about singing songs to Jesus. I have to repeat this because I don't want us to ever minimize worship to just songs that we sing. Understand, the Bible says the Father is seeking worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. It didn't say who, who worship him in song and in dance. Are you hearing me? My point is this, is that dancing and singing are all parts of worship. But when he's saying to worship in spirit and in truth, he is saying to worship him according to his word. See, my worship, your worship of God is not solely when we come together. As a matter of fact, our worship of God is better demonstrated when we scatter. Are you hearing me? Our worship of God. See, because it's easy. Let me say this. It is easy to come into a place like this. And, and I'm just saying it like this. I mean, I think that our music team is pretty good. Can you give God a hand of praise for them? Not because I'm part of it, you know, but I'm just saying. But our worship team is pretty good, right? I mean, they, you know, they stay on beat, right? You know, we, we, we try to, you know, I told you all about the spiritual aerobics that we do in the beginning and all that kind of stuff. So ultimately, we try to keep you motivated, right? We try to keep you stirred. And so we worship. We're focusing on Jesus. I mean, that's what we're doing. So you know what? To me, if I were you and I was walking into a place like this, man, it would be exciting. It would be easy to jump in and start singing the songs with you. Easy. It's not going to be difficult. Even if I'm having a bad day, the music would move me in a way that I'd be like, hey, you know, by the time we're done, I have a smile on my face, you know, hopefully feeling a little bit better. But here's the thing. When I walk out of this place, I don't have a worship team to do it for me. And what happens when there's no music around me at all? Hello. What happens when I can't turn on that favorite song? There's no headphones that I could plug on. What happens when I'm in a situation where I just want to be a jerk? But that being a jerk is going to cause me to dishonor God. See, because my worship is not only when I'm singing songs or dancing under the Lord, but it's worshiping him in spirit and in truth. In other words, obeying what his word says. That's what worship really is. It is responding to God in obedience to his word. It is responding to him. I gave this, I gave this example when I was in the, in the men's, in, the men's um, in one of the men's meetings, and some of the ladies, you might appreciate this. And um, I, I was telling him, I don't know if I told him this part, but I'll say it now. I've said this before, but... I didn't wash dishes in my house for like 12 years of marriage. It's pretty bad, man. And my wife, my wife would not lie to you. She, 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 she'll throw me under the bus right there and be like, he, he is telling you the truth. But you know what I can tell you? I always have always had, I've always had my private time with Jesus. 
I've always locked myself in the, in the room. You know, my daughter, she kind of delivered me of this. Like, I don't lock the door anymore. She would just bust in the room. I'd be praying, and I'd be like, just come and sit on my lap or whatever. You know, that kind of stuff happened. But the thing was, my, my, my wife knew. Like, she was, the door was locked. Daddy's praying, right? As my daughter got a little bit older, she understands that as well. But one day, the Holy Spirit just got a hold of my heart, and I was walking past the kitchen. The sink is in the kitchen. And as I'm walking through the kitchen on my way to go be a holy man of God, the Holy Spirit got my attention and say, why don't you wash those dishes? And I'm like, Lord, <laughs> get behind me, Satan. <laughs> like, I'm going to pray. He's like, can you worship me in front of those dishes? I was like, hold up, hold up, Lord. This story gets better every time I tell it. <laughs> but the point was, when I, when I got there and I started washing those dishes, I realized, man, I was worshiping God because I was doing, I I was doing something that was greater. And, and listen, I'm not saying you don't need to have your prayer time. But I was doing something greater than getting on my knees and being the holy man of God. I was blessing my wife. My wife was going to come home to an empty sink, glory to God. And it wasn't because I wanted something. Hello. This was the Holy Ghost straight up, all right? Now, later on, things might have changed, but I'm just saying, on that day, on that day, glory to God, this was a holy moment, all right? There was no second thoughts. There was no hidden agenda. I was being convicted by the Holy Spirit and saying, man, the Bible says, love your wife as Christ loves the church. And doesn't Jesus sacrificially, and come on now, is washing dishes a real sacrifice? Sometimes. Sometimes. Let's just keep it real. Sometimes, right? I'm just, I still don't enjoy dishes. And I thank God because a few years later, my wife decided, let's try this thing of using the dishwasher. And so glory to God, we use the dishwasher. The point is, worship is not just singing and dancing. It's living a life of obedience to the Savior. The third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, a satisfied soul will be moved to bring salvation to others. A satisfied soul will be moved to bring salvation to others. Let's read verse 27 to verse 30. And the Bible says here, it says, and at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they, the men of the city, went out of the city and came to him. And skip over to verse 39, and it says this, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this, that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. The title of the, of the series is The Real Jesus. And what is Jesus revealing again? He is revealing that he is the savior of the world. There's no other savior. This is, this, 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 this is the revelation that comes forward. There is no other savior. This is the Christ. This is the one that has been waited for. But I want you to notice a few things. First thing, notice this. I mean, look at verse 27. He says, and at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that, that, he, talked, that, that, that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you do? And look, verse 28, it says, the woman then left her water pot, went away into the city and said to the men, and, and, and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Verse 28 is the, is, is the verse I want you to see because this always stood out to me every time that I've ever read this portion of scripture. The woman then left her water pot. What does she come to do? She came to get water. And she left the water pot there. Why? Because she, look, she found the one that she had really been looking for. Hello. There was something that occurred to her that she no longer even needed to get that water. As a matter of fact, she went from being an outcast to being an evangelist. Hello. 
She went from not wanting anyone to talk to her, from not wanting anyone to deal with her, to going back into the city. And look, she reminded them. She said, listen, come and, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. In other words, come and see a man who knew all about my sin. Hello. Come and see a man who told me all about everything that y'all know about me. Could this be the Christ? See, here's the beauty of this picture is that whenever Jesus deals with your sin, whenever God calls you out on your sin, it is not because he wants to rub your face in it. It is because he wants to liberate you from it. He wants to set you free from it. He wants you. There were, there, I, last night I was, I was slipping through the channels as I was waiting for my wife and daughter to get home from the Acquire the Fire event. And... On the, on the Christian station, there was a, it said real life, and so I, I just clicked on the station there. And when I clicked on the station, um, it, it was talking, it, it was, there was a woman who was giving her testimony. And I didn't hear the whole testimony, but what she was saying was this. She said that she had had an abortion years ago. And when she had this abortion, that she was so condemned because of this act that she had done that she couldn't even look in the mirror at herself and feel okay until God dealt with her. She said, listen, years ago, I I couldn't even look in the mirror and say, man, you had an abortion. She said, now I'm telling the whole world that this happened to me because God has liberated me from the power of whatever bad decision I made in my past. Are you here with me? See, that's what God wants to do. God, listen, it's okay to cry over your sin. It's not okay to stay boohooing over your sin forever once God forgives you. See, once God forgives us, we're supposed to move on to the place that we are now sharing with the world this greatness of what we know. And it's that, man, he told me all about my sin, but he satisfied my soul. Hello. He told me all about what was going on inside of me, but he dealt with the issues of my heart. You see, this woman walked away from there, and she began to speak to these people about, about this Jesus that she had met. See, the natural response of a soul that is satisfied is the desire to share that satisfaction with others. Think about it. We always give this example. I'll give it again because it, it's, it's never going to be worn out. But whenever you go to a restaurant that has really good food, what do you do? First of all, you're posting on Facebook and you're like, yo, or Twitter or wherever it is that you're posting, Instagram, and I'm sure there's something else I have no clue anything about. But anyway, you're posting it somewhere on media and you're like, yo, this place off the chain, blah, blah, blah. You know, you might go on there if, you, if you're into this and, you know, give them some kind of rating somewhere and talk about them. But you know what you do for sure? As you go ahead and you tell the people that you love, whenever the, comp, the, the, the topic comes up, let's just say it was really amazing Mexican food, and you're like, yo, when someone's talking about it, yo, you ain't had Mexican food until... You got to go to this place, you know, or you're talking about steak. You got to go to this place. And you know why that is? It is because you experienced a level of satisfaction. Can I tell you something? It should be no different with Jesus. You see, the thing is with us is that we have gone from being satisfied in our Savior to being sedentary in our faith. Are you hearing me? We have gone from being a people who are experiencing that satiating satisfaction of the presence and the power of God in our lives to where we have gone to becoming sedentary. We no longer experience that overwhelming, mouth-watering experience with him that we used to. And I don't know why that is. It could be because of sin in our life. It could be because we've abandoned our time with him. It can be a whole bunch of different things. But at the end of the day, you will either be satisfied wanting to share that satisfaction or you will be sedentary and you're not sharing with anyone. And that's not to be condemning. It's simply to call to the reality in your life. Are you a person that is walking out that satisfaction in your relationship with Jesus? You see, I close with this, with with these thoughts. While God is intimately concerned with our individual lives, Jesus was very, extremely concerned with the woman he was going to meet at the well. He, he was, he was, he was going to make that appointment because that mattered. He cares about our individual lives, but he is not ultimately concerned with us alone. In other words, he wasn't just concerned with that woman at the well. He was concerned with the city of Samaria. He met the right person who he could satisfy with his words, with his truth, so that way she could go back and she could do what? She could minister unto those people. See, his plans involve us, but they don't end with us. Are you here? You see, I know some of us want to think that we're so great and we're so amazing and that the buck stops with us. It's not true. You know, I know, I know to someone you're all that, but I'm just saying. God loves you, and he has a plan for your life, but it doesn't end with you. It doesn't end with me. He was concerned with saving me you know, over 20 years ago, but it didn't end with just saving me. He wanted to minister to your lives. That's the reason why he saved me. That's the reason why you're here today. I'm just saying this was all part of his plan. 
It didn't just end with me learning the Bible, but it began. It, it continued with me being a preacher of this word. It was for me to minister this gospel. See, it's the same thing for you. You may not be called to stand behind a pulpit and preach, but at the end of the day, we need to realize that it is bigger than us. Here's the thing. We must look beyond ourselves and recognize that we have been saved, satisfied, and sanctified for the purpose of sharing our Savior with others. Jesus saved us with a great purpose, and that is to share the glory of this gospel with everyone who will listen to us. And even some that don't want to hear it still tell them. He wants to use your life. And so my closing questions to you are this. Number one, has he satisfied or has he quenched your thirst? That's the first question. In other words, if you don't know Jesus today, and maybe you recognize today, man, that there's something lacking in my life. My question is, has he satisfied your soul? Has he quenched your thirst? And if he has not, he offers you salvation today. He offers you that. He says, put your faith in me. Recognize your sin. The only thing that separates you from God is your sin. That's all that it is. He died for that sin. Put your trust in him. Repent. Recognize your sin. Allow him to deal with your heart. And then my second question is to us who are already satisfied who have already experienced the goodness of our God, are you being a source of life to others? In other words, are you satisfied sharing that satisfaction with other people? Or are you sedentary and like, well, I'm saved and I'm okay? See, both of us have to repent in that situation. If I don't know him, I need to repent of my sin. I need to trust him as my savior. And if I do know him and I'm not sharing him, it's not to condemn you. God wants to use you. God has satisfied your soul so you can bring satisfaction to others. Amen? Stand to your feet and let's pray together. I'll invite the worship team to come forward. And I'm going to pray general prayer here. But I do want to open up this altar. This platform area here is open for you to come forward. If you, if you need prayer, if you recognize, man, God, I'm not, I'm not walking the way that I should. I'm not sharing you as I should. And there's maybe different reasons or whatever's going on in your life. Maybe you just need prayer. There's something going on in your life. You need prayer. And so we want to pray. We have our ministers, our leaders are here, and we definitely want to pray with you. And so I'm going to pray in general, and then we're going to sing this song in worship. Father God, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus, and we thank you so very much for your great grace. We thank you for your love and your kindness toward us. And Father, we just humble ourselves before your presence, God. Jesus, you are the one that satisfies our soul. And we recognize that full well, God, that there is no one like you who can satisfy our souls the way you do. And so, God, we pray today that you would fill us afresh, God. Fill us afresh, Holy Spirit. Do a deep work in our hearts, my Lord, that we would not be sedentary in our faith and that we would really share this great satisfaction that we have come to know and experience in our relationship with you. Father, I pray against everything that the enemy would try to hinder us from experiencing real and true satisfaction in you, God. Those distractions that may come, Father, those relationships that are not edifying, Lord God, that don't bring glory to your name, Jesus. Today, we just pray, God, that you would deal with those. Father, help us to recognize the idols in our heart that hinder us from worshiping you in spirit and in truth. God, we surrender to you. And Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would have your way in our hearts. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.